Lord, you are great and greatly to be praised. We ask, Father, that in the moments to come that you would teach us. God, nobody's here this morning to listen to the the foolish ramblings of some silly preacher. Not all of us are here collectively that we might listen and sit at your feet and hear from you and hear from your word. So, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you speak to us through your word? Would you teach us? Lord, would you move me out of your way so that your words might flow forward, that mine might be stopped? God, we ask that you would help comfort those who need comfort. Lord, that you would convict those of us who need to be convicted of our sin. Lord, we pray that you would challenge us this morning. That you would motivate us and encourage us to strive every day to live for you. And to model our lives after your word. All this is possible through the reading, through the teaching, through the proclamation of your holy word. But only if you, Father, move through it. So we ask that you would be with us now. We ask all these things in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. If you'll take, with, take your Bible and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. We're moving one chapter forward from last week. We will be in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Whether you have a print copy of the Word or whether you have a digital copy of the Word, I encourage you to take it out and join with us and follow along. If you don't have your own copy of Scripture, feel free to borrow one from the back of the pew there in front of you. Or if you don't own a copy, please take that with you and just let that be our gift to you and we will replenish it. Whether you're reading in your own copy or following along on the screens, however you might be accessing the Word of the Lord, If you're physically able to do so, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word? I will read for us, and I'll be reading Luke chapter 8, verses 19 through 39. When I complete this reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. At that time, if you are grateful for the word of the Lord, I encourage you to respond with a hearty thanks be to God. Let's look together now at Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 19. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, being Jesus, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let's go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite of Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house 
but lived among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized the man. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now, a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled told it in the city and in the country then people went out to see what had happened and they came to jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of jesus clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid and those who had seen it told them how the demon possessed man had been healed then all the people of the surrounding country of the garrisons asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We have been walking through this sermon series and this emphasis as a church on who's your one. Who is the one person in your life that you're close to that is not close to the Lord. That one person that you have the unique opportunity to pray for them and share with them. And you might be able to bring them to Jesus in a way that other people may not. Who is that one person that you are seeking to pray for and share with that they might know the hope that is found in Jesus Christ? I hope as we have looked at different one-on-one encounters that Paul had, numerous one-on-one encounters that Jesus has had throughout the Gospels, I hope that you have already picked and been praying for one. One person can make a huge difference. And I know this may seem cliche, but even the greatest of evangelists like Billy Graham had a Sunday school teacher who decided that they would share the gospel with Billy Graham. And there was one person who on a one-on-one basis shared with even one of the greatest evangelists that we know in our time. You and I have no idea the impact that sharing with one person can make. We have no idea the ripples that it will create in the water and how far those ripples will carry out. One of the most incredible things about Jesus as we have looked at all these one-on-one encounters is how intentional he is. 
He gets in a boat and intentionally wants to go to the other side. Now, that may not seem like a very big deal to you, but this is something of a metaphor for us because there's always people who are on the other side of us, right? There are people in life who don't vote like us, who don't think like us, who don't eat like us, who don't go to the places that we go to. They're people from the other side. For some reason in in human society and in human culture, we're really big fans of creating an us and a them and a them and an us. Yeah, other way around with my hands. Uh, Them and an us. We really like the idea of segregating ourselves out for some reason. We discriminate for the most small and minute of things, but we like to set ourselves apart in all sorts of different ways. There's households that genuinely struggle every football season because they both are with teams that are opposed to one another. And even though the husband and the wife are clearly the us of the relationship, when the two teams play one another, there is an us and a them, and it is better for the marriage and the family and everyone involved that they watch the game in another room that's different from us because our marriage may not survive this game if we stay together. Is there anybody that can testify that they have experienced something like that? Amen. It happens. It does. All right. We live in South Alabama. It's going to happen. The same thing is true with the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee functioned as a barrier to create an us and a them sort of mentality. You have Herod the Great who rules one side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Galilee region. This is Tiberias. This is all the places that you hear about Jesus going, Capernaum, and all these different little cities where the good Jews live. This is where the people live who follow the letter of the law to a T. This is where the Pharisees had their home headquarters. This is the place where Jews observed the law and lived according to God's word. Now, just across the Sea of Galilee, you found this other group of people that were ruled by Philip the Tetrarch, who was related to Herod the Great, but Philip was a guy that kind of played fast and loose with the rules. He was one of those people that liked to claim that he was Jewish and that was his heritage, but really he didn't live out the mandates instructed in Scripture. He just kind of liked the moniker, the label of being Jewish and not really the lifestyle. And so that's why when Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee and there's this man who's filled with demons, the Scripture tells us that there's a, a large, a great, a very large herd of pigs that are grazing in the fields nearby. You would not find a herd of pigs grazing on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They're civilized over there. On the other side of the Sea of Galilee, that's where they understand that pigs are forbidden. And we won't raise them, and we won't clean them, and we won't kill them, and we won't cook them. But you go to the other side, to the region of the Gerasenes, and you find that Philip the Tetrarch, boy... It's just really hard for him to turn down a good slab of bacon. You know what I mean? And sometimes I got to agree with Philip on that. That is just, if you wake up in the morning, bacon can just set your day off just right. Have you ever cooked bacon and your hands end up smelling like bacon grease? And throughout the day, no matter how much you wash them, it still smells like bacon. just refreshes you as you go through your day. You just, ah, that bacon this morning keeps me going. I could see why they'd want a herd of pigs. I mean, they wrap bacon over everything these days. I think Little Caesars even has a pizza that they wrap the whole pizza in. In bacon, and I thought, wow, that is a heart attack just waiting to happen. But I bet it's delicious. And so they have a huge herd of pigs. This herd of pigs lets us know that these are people who play fast and loose 
with the Jewish laws and rituals and rules. They don't fit in to Jewish culture. But what we see even from verse 19 is that Jesus is not about fitting into the standard mold of us and them. Even when his mother and his brothers come to him. Now in other uh, gospels we're told that they're coming to him because they think he's crazy. They've come to him because they think that he's out of his mind and he's developed this Messiah complex. Jesus, you can't do this. You just can't say those kind of things. Does anybody have a relative that says those things that you just want to look at him and say, you just can't say that. Now, I've got many in my family. I love them to death. But you just look at him and go, all right, now come on. Why don't you just go home with me? Come on, let's go back to the house away from the public where you can embarrass us any further. Let's get out of the sight of public. That's what his mother and his brothers are trying to do. They're embarrassed by what Jesus is saying and the way that he's conducting himself. And they're going to get him and take him. If ever there was an us and a them, it would be us as our family unit and them the ones who are not related to us, right? But what does Jesus say? Breaking the mold from the very beginning of this passage, he looked to those people who came to told him to tell him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. He said, look, I got a mission. And if they're against my mission, they're not with me. Even his mama, even his mama, even his brothers. Now, I could get the brother thing, okay? I mean, it must have been tough growing up with Jesus. Can you imagine growing up with a brother who never sinned ever? He was perfect in every way. And then your room is a mess and Jesus is over there and everything's pristine and crystal clear. You know, your brother falls off of a tree that he shouldn't have been climbing and Jesus goes and heals him. So mom can't find out or something. I don't know what it was like growing up with Jesus, but it must have been tough because Jesus never sinned. He grew up sinless. And so he was the perfect son in in every way. And that must be tough on the brothers. So I could maybe get the brothers coming to grab Jesus and be like, he's off doing this crazy stuff again. Come on, brother, come back home. But even his mother, he said, listen, if you're not hearing the word of God and living it out, then you are not with us. So that would make the disciples think clearly the people on the other side of the Sea of Galilee are not with us. They got pigs over there. There ain't no reason to be going across the sea. So Jesus says, no, 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 we're, we're going to go across the sea. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let's go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And I can only imagine that as the wind and the waves picked up and as the boat is taking on water and they're about to die, the disciples have to be thinking, you see, God did not want us to go to these other weird people who will eat pork. They don't follow the laws. This is a cursed mission. We shouldn't be going this way. As they're yelling and hollering at each other, Jesus is just asleep in the boat, just calm, just relaxed. Water's filling up the boat, and Jesus is still asleep with water filling up the boat. They wake him up, and Jesus groggily stands to his feet, and he says, Hey, 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 cut it out. Sit down. Hush. And the wind and the waves do. And are the disciples marveling, saying, wow, that's awesome. Not really. They say, wow. But they say, who is this guy? He just said, hush, 
And I thought he was talking to me, but he talked to the wind and the waves and they hushed. He said, hush, and they responded. Who else in ever has spoken to the elements of the world? And they responded. So maybe they start to come around to there is a good reason we've got to go across this lake. Maybe Jesus knows it. We just don't. So then we come to this man who's in the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite of Galilee. They've sailed over there. He steps out on land, and this dude, naked as a jaybird, runs up to Jesus. Do not forget that this man is naked. It adds another element of awkwardness to this story. We're not talking about somebody in a suit and tie coming up and humiliating themselves by getting down on their knees. We're talking about a man who probably has shackles on his ankles, shackles on his wrists, that he has broken the chains from between them every time that he is shackled. He didn't run out from the city. He ran out from the graveyard. Folks, if we had a naked man wandering the graveyard here at Bethany, we would call the police and they would be thrown in jail. I am not going to just sit around and let some naked dude wander around our cemetery. That's weird, okay? That's a very odd thing, and that's what's happening. This graveyard is just outside the city, and a naked dude who's just got shackles on his ankles and wrists is wandering around as soon as Jesus' boat touches the shore and he starts to get out. Here comes this naked man flailing and running down to Jesus. And you've got to imagine what all the disciples are thinking. They were in a boat with Jesus, and he just told the wind and the waves to stop. So obviously he can handle himself, but, but there's like a weird dude with shackles on it. Like, did he just break out of prison? Who is this guy? What, what's, he, what's he up to? What's he doing? Hey, guys, he's not wearing any clothes. Should we stop him? Do we tackle him? I don't really want to tackle the naked guy. Do you want to tackle the naked guy? But Jesus just calmed the winds and the waves. So I, I guess he's okay. He could probably handle himself. And when the guy gets there, instead of throwing a punch, he falls down on his hands and knees. And the disciples are like, well, at least following Jesus isn't boring, right? (laughs) Everywhere they go, there's storms trying to capsize their boats. There's naked people running up to them. At least they're not bored, right? And what does this man say? What's the first thing out of his mouth? Don't hurt me. Like, dude, don't hurt. Don't hurt you. Like, you're the one that bum rushed us. Like, what are you talking about, man? I we ain't, we ain't got no intentions of hurting you, but he's begging Jesus. These demons from within this man are crying out, saying, please don't hurt us. And Jesus pays no never mind to the fact that he's naked. Pays no never mind that he's on the wrong side of the Sea of Galilee. Or that he came from the tombs instead of the city. Or that he's got shackles on his wrists and his ankles. Jesus, very calmly, very lovingly, asks What's your name? You remember last week when we talked about how Jesus looked at Simon the Pharisee and said, Do you see this woman? Jesus saw everybody. Jesus saw everybody. Even crazy naked people who are demon possessed, who are bowed down at his feet. He loves them and cares about them. What's your name? And I don't know if it's the demons answering or if it's the man. I don't know if this is the name that he was given by all the townspeople because you have to understand he wandered around the graveyard moaning and wailing so much so that they sent him in further into the tombs, into the caves, and they could hear him from the town. And the demons would grab hold of him and seize him and throw him to the ground. 
And so they called him Legion because obviously there's thousands of demons that have possessed this man. So I don't know where his name came from, if it was some cruel nickname given by the townspeople or if this is what all those demons called themselves or if this was the man's actual name. But what I do know is that Jesus cared enough to ask, what's your name? It's a lunatic that runs out to meet him and says, my name's Legion because there's a lot of us. And even the demons immediately recognize what the disciples just saw on the boat. There is something powerful about this Jesus guy. And they beg, don't send us into the abyss. Don't torment us because we know who you are and we know what you're capable of. And so, Jesus, well, what, what would you have? Well, there's some pigs over here on the countryside. And when it talks about a great and a large, a very large herd of pigs, we're talking anywhere from 500 to 2,000 pigs. That was the range of a very large herd of pigs. And so I just want to imagine, if you will, with me, think, 2,000 pigs, and if one demon goes into every pig, this man was greatly afflicted. And at one word, Jesus doesn't even command them to leave. They say, can we go in the pigs? And Jesus says, okay. At Jesus' nod and shrug and, all right, you can go in the pigs. At his acceptance of their deal, of their request, they leave the man. Leave him completely. And they go and they rush into these pigs. And it terrifies the pigs so much that they run down this steep bank and fall into the Sea of Galilee. And every pig dies. So, much like with the woman at the well, much like in every other one of these one-on-one stories, this is reported to all the people in the town. And the people in the town, they come out and they are absolutely marveling at what has happened, but not in a powerful, oh my goodness, kind of a way. In, in the kind of a way that scary. Because when you think about it, even today, a pig farmer can expect to get, on average, if a pig is about 200 pounds on average, which is about the weight, it, getting everything that they possibly can out of the pig, they're probably going to make about $800 per pig. Now, I did a lot of research to try and figure out how much a pig would bring a pig farmer in the first century, and I just I can't find the figures there. So we're going to use today's figures, and we're just going to try and translate them back to when this was. Let's, let's just say it's $800 a pig that you could get out of this herd for each pig, and let's just say there's about 1,000 pigs. How much did it cost to cast the demons out of this demon-possessed man? Well, that would be about $800,000 today. What if there were like 2,000 pigs? What if it was on the highest side of what a large, very large herd of pigs would be? No big deal. Just $1.6 million to cast the demons out of this crazy man living in the tombs. So when people come out to see what Jesus has done, they're not going, Woo! God, you're awesome! Praise the Lord! He's healed! Look at him! It's amazing! They're going, What about the pigs? There's so much money we just lost in all these pigs, you don't understand. That's like over a million dollars. What is this dude doing? 
And then when they come back, they see, when they get up to Jesus, it says that the man is kneeling down and he's in his right mind. One of the ways that they know he's in his right mind, he's wearing clothes again. The Bible says that people in their right mind wear clothes. If Jesus tells you to strip naked and do something, that's probably not the Holy Spirit. Amen? Oh man, y'all should have given a much more hearty amen. I am worried about you guys. They came to see this man and he had put clothes back on. He sat at Jesus' feet, no longer wailing, no longer shouting, no longer seizing, no longer breaking shackles, sitting calmly at Jesus' feet. And they're not amazed, they're scared and they're angry. And everywhere else that Jesus goes, what do we see? Jesus heals the woman who had the issue of blood. It's the next story that comes up in the Gospel of Mark after this one. And the woman who's healed, everybody marvels at what Jesus does. And they press in to get closer to him. And he struggles to get to the official named Jairus' house where he had a child who had died. And Jesus still goes. And people Throng about him everywhere he goes, especially when he does miracles. What do these people do on this side of the Sea of Galilee? Hey, man, so we appreciate your visit. It's nice of you to come. Could you go, though? Like, seriously, maybe just get in your boat and just leave. Do you need gas? We'll put gas in your car. Just go. We don't care where you go. Go. You're there at the restaurant at closing time, and they say, well, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. That's what they say to Jesus. After this incredible miracle, their town has been alleviated of a menace. And they don't, they don't care. It wasn't worth it to them. They're afraid. And they're worried about how much it costs them to be rid of this menace. And so they demand that Jesus depart. And so Jesus does. And he goes back to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. But this last scene, it just it breaks my heart. Because so many other people on the right side of the Sea of Galilee, when they were healed, they had the privilege of following Jesus for the rest of their lives. This man, he's healed. And the Greek word that it uses can be used for healed and or saved. The Greek word sozo can mean he was saved and he begs to go with Jesus. Don't you have just room for one more on your boat, Jesus? Can't you just, maybe you could walk on the water and let me sit in your seat and that way I could go with you. I know you could do the walking on water thing. The, the disciples told me about that. Come on, Jesus, anything. Let me go with you guys. What does Jesus say? No. I got work for you. And your work's on this side of the Galilee. You go tell everybody what God's done for you. And so, as much as it hurts him, as much as he'd rather be with Jesus, verse 39 says, and he went away. He didn't go away sad like the rich young ruler. He didn't go away and keep to himself. We didn't get some sort of ambiguous ending like with Nicodemus. This is much more like the woman at the well. He went away proclaiming, not just to that city, not just to the town, not just in the cemetery, throughout the whole region, how much Jesus had done for him. You know what's incredible? When you look at church history, some crazy things happened 
on the right side of the Sea of Galilee, in Capernaum and Tiberias and the whole region of Galilee. You see, shortly after Jesus died, there came up a revolt among the Jewish people. And the Romans decided, we're going to put a stop to this. And so they came through with big armies and a lot of soldiers, with a lot of heavy machinery and a lot of weaponry. And they squashed the Jewish rebellion. In about 70, the year 70 A.D., they destroyed the Jewish temple that was there. It wasn't the temple that Solomon built. It was the rebuilt temple. But they said, these Jews cannot be controlled and we will crush them. But you know that the capital of Christianity at that point was also Jerusalem. So you know what suffered greatly at that same time? All of the Christians who were also there. Because the Romans at this point didn't really make a big difference, a big deal. They didn't differentiate between the Jews and the Christians. They thought they were kind of the same thing anyway. So they crushed them all. But you know, throughout the entire 2nd and 3rd century, 200 years, do do you know where the bastion of hope for Christianity was? Do you know where they have archaeological evidence of churches that existed in the 2nd and 3rd century? Do you know where some of the most prominent bishops in the 2nd and 3rd century, where they came from? They came from the region of the Gerasenes. See, we don't talk about that a whole lot. Sometimes we forget that there is church history. Maybe if we talk about church history, we go back to Martin Luther. But Martin Luther was only 500 years ago. That's 25% of all of our Christian history since Jesus. But I promise you there was a lot of good stuff that happened from year zero to year 1500, okay? And one of the awesome things that happened is that our faith was preserved all because Jesus went to this place and cast demons out of one man. And that one man was faithful to talk about what Jesus had done in him. And so when Rome came down hard on this side of the Sea of Galilee, over here where Philip the Tetrarch was ruling, things were a lot more laid back. And the Christian church was growing and thriving and sustaining and passing down true and right doctrine. Jesus went to the other side, to the unacceptable people, to the folks that nobody else would go to, just for one. And that one person played a huge part in the fact that we still talk about Jesus today. Had the gospel not gone across the Sea of Galilee, who knows what would have happened when Rome came crashing down on Jerusalem and all the surrounding region. Who knows what would have happened when Rome squashed all of the Jewish ministry and Christian ministry happening in Tiberias and Capernaum and in the region of Galilee. What I do know is that the gospel continued forward because one man was freed of demons and commanded to tell others what Jesus had done for him. You know, Jesus did not spend three years with this man. Jesus did not put him through a seminary training course. Jesus did not give him an equipping session of, here's how to share the gospel. What did Jesus tell him to do? Go and tell people what God's done for you. And so after one encounter with Jesus, this man goes and churches are formed. 
He doesn't really necessarily know how to tell you what the difference between Arminianism and Calvinism is. He doesn't really necessarily know how to tell you what the various interpretations of Revelation is. He doesn't know how to tell you any of that stuff. What he knows is what Jesus did for him. And he tells everybody in the region, here's what Jesus did for me. And so the gospel goes forward and the church carries on. You and I never know the impact that it will have for one person to believe the gospel. We have no way of comprehending what God would do from one person who trusts in his name. Whether they get a seminary degree or not, whether they become a preacher somewhere or not, when one person believes and tells the story of what Jesus has done for them, there's no end to what God can do through that person. If you and I would just be faithful to share with at least one what Jesus has done for us. Because what's amazing is it might have cost upwards of $1.6 million to cast all the demons out of this man. But it cost a lot more than what money can buy for Jesus to redeem that man and you and me. That's why we're having communion this morning. Because he poured out his very blood. He allowed his own body to be broken because there's no price too high that Jesus isn't willing to pay to save you, to save me, to save your one, to save my one. He was willing to give his own life for it. That's what we commemorate in the Lord's Supper. It wasn't just an expensive herd of pigs. It was the very Son of God shedding his own blood and allowing his own body to be broken. And sometimes I wonder if if we get it the way that that demon-possessed man who went by the name Legion got it. Sometimes I wonder if I get it like that. I need communion to remind me what I deserve and to remind me what God has done for me and to inspire me to go and tell The same way that Legion left his encounter with Jesus and went and told so that the church might carry on, so that God's kingdom might move forward.